0: to dear hank and john or as i prefer to think of it dear john and hank it's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions give you dubious advice and bring you all the week's news from both mars and afc wimbledon john yeah i had a joke about the vaccines but i decided not to tell it because i'm afraid not everyone will get it
1: <laughs> that's that's pretty good that's pretty the way you told the joke Betrayed a certain level of like frustration and fatigue. <laughs> you didn't like bring the full hammy Hank Green, get the crowd riled up uh-huh. kind of vibe that you usually bring. But to be fair, that's not where we are right now. No, Hank and I are Hank and I are both in a different place. <laughs> it's been a weird a place
0: of fr- frustration and yeah. exhaustion. If I sound a little weird, it's because my computer uh, just stopped working, and so I'm recording on my handheld recorder. Uh, And I can't see the questions, and I had to remember that joke, which I had written, but I had forgotten. And so it was lucky that it started out, I was going to tell a joke.
1: Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask all the questions, because Hank's computer doesn't work. And if I sound like a person who hasn't slept in 10 days, that's because I haven't. (laughs) Because I'm trying to finish this book, which, by the way, now has a cover— Oh, that's something I always like to announce to the podcast because people love Uh a cover reveal on a podcast. That's the best place to reveal a cover.
0: That's how they tell you to do it. I I find it very fascinating. Uh, Cover reviews are very cool to me. Yeah. But sometimes the publisher people will they'll be like, we're going to do the cover reveal on this news site. And I'm like, correct. Are we still in a world where like we have we have relationships? Yeah.
1: No, my cover is being launched tomorrow afternoon on a. Online news site.
0: <laughs> oh, my computer <laughs> turned back on, John. That's great news. That is good news. Oh, that's what that noise was. Hooray, hooray. Yeah. I'll I see. guess you
1: will get to answer some of the questions. Maybe. We'll see. I love the cover. It was designed by Grace Hahn. You can find it via well, just Google the Anthropocene Reviewed book cover and you can see it. It's it's so
0: beautiful. I actually, Hank, if your if your computer restarted, let me send it to you so you can see it. Well, I mean, it is still working on something. It decided that it needed to do a major update without my permission. And now a progress bar has appeared. And the amount of the progress bar that that is indicating progress has occurred is so small that I'm not sure it exists. You know what will never
1: be finished? Progress. (laughs) Speaking of progress bars, progress will never be finished. I'm also pretty sure that my book will never be finished. (laughs) It's... It's been a long haul. I've been writing this book for three years and yeah. it's coming out in three months and somehow I'm still writing it.
0: The The area of the progress bar that is full is getting bigger, but so is the bar. Like I feel that way about so many things.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically summarizes human progress over the last 5,000
0: yeah. years. Oh, it's now like about a pinky fingernail's width. So it is moving. That's great. Moving extremely sporadically and with no actual indication of what is occurring there's a great video if you want to search for why don't progress bars load normally i think tom scott did and and it helps me understand these moments that i'm in the middle of right now john yeah i'm getting my vaccine by the time i uh this this podcast is out i will have got my first dose of the moderna vaccine i'm very excited congratulations I'm excited for you. Oh, about four, about 44 minutes remaining, it tells me.
1: All right, I'll, I'll ask all I the questions. I am
0: a professional human. I have to do things.
1: For some reason, even though I've known what the cover looks like for like three weeks, I still want um, to show it to you. Like I have an urgent need to show it to you. So I, I'm going to FaceTime you real quick. Okay,
0: let's FaceTime. Hey, there he is. Oh, hello. There he is.
1: Yeah, for some reason, my headphones don't work, but here's the cover. Ready? Yeah.
0: Ooh, that's not what I was expecting at all.
1: Isn't it cool? I also can
0: only see half of it because you're a terrible camera operator. Sorry. There we go. I really like it a lot. Yeah. We actually have a question that I remember reading on a document I can no longer answer. And that question was about, what was it, John? The question that was about publishing? Who, who writes the author bio? I like that one. Do that one.
1: Okay, this will be fun. You just tell me which questions to read based on your memory of what the questions were, and we'll do our best from there. This first question comes from Emma with two Ms, who asks, dear John and Hank, who writes author bios in the back of books? Do authors write their own smoke? I don't know why I said smoke. It's because that's what's happening inside of my head.
0: Books and bios, Emma. I thought that someone else would do it. And then they were like, what's your bio? And I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there are people who, who have whole biographers. Y- y- get someone else, get someone to do it. I want, a, I want a biographer, but they're only gonna write 150 words. Can we do that? And no, you can't. So I, yeah, I, I, I wrote my author bio and it definitely got feedback. It got edited.
1: Because authors almost always do write their author bios. There's some classic author bios. If you ever go to like a publishing party, And you get a few drinks into (laughs) long standing publishing people, they'll tell you stories of like the bios that authors have submitted that are just epic. (laughs) Like, I won't name any names, but my all time favorite author bio is iconic American novelist
0: lives on several islands. That's the whole bio. <laughs> There's that thing that happened where where it, it would be like, lives in Berkeley, California with his wife, dog, and cat. And you're like, oh boy. Yes. Oh gosh. Because like, like somebody at some point was like, put their kids in their bio. Right. And they are like, well, I'm going to put my cat in. And I totally it's like, do that. I'm not ragging on it.
1: It's like the back of a car. You know how, like, people have, like, this is what our family looks like. There's uh, two adults and two children. And then eventually somebody developed, like, oh, I could have, like, two adults and two children and a couple corgis. Yep. But people do that for their author bios as well as for their rear windows Mm -hmm. in in their automobiles. I think I wrote the author bio for Looking for Alaska, but I don't think I have written an author bio since then. Because I can't. I can't. I can't. When I am asked to write an author bio, I always just... Like, I want to say, like, like, I, I want to tell the truth about what is Im- important <laughs> to me about myself, which but is that I, I, wanna
0: look, I don't even know what mine is. I'm so curious. I
1: sponsor AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> I am a father and I am married to Sarah Uris Green. Those are the things that I want you to know about my me. Like, if you ask me to tell you something about me, it's like, well, I the most important thing is that I'm a parent. And a spouse. And then the second most important thing is that I sponsor a third tier English football team. And the drop off from there is so huge. Yeah. Right. Like the maybe the third most important thing about me is that I'm a writer and YouTuber. But the distance between sponsoring AMC Wimbledon and being a writer and a YouTuber is so huge in terms of the actual formation of my identity that I I don't even think I would mention it in my author bio. I would be like, how did how did this how did this book even I I don't know. Uh, I don't even I don't I don't even like talking. I don't I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't like to, I don't even like talking about author bias. Well, now I've
0: read mine and I'm I'm horrified that I wrote this because it's well, this is the thing. I feel like you're supposed to be like establishing your credentials as a person who's like capable of writing a book. Yeah, that's not what mine does at all. It's oh, really? establishing my credentials. as like a person who runs a company. Oh, <laughs> and uh, there's lots of stuff about Complexly and YouTube. And uh, and there's also like about a third of it is taken up with a plug for Partners in Health. Well, that's
1: actually quite good. I remember there was a long time where my author bio, the last sentence of it. Whoa, we're back. We're on again. That was a very loud noise. (laughs) Is is your computer run
0: by like a semi truck? Like, oh my god, John. There's another progress bar, and it's one fingernail wide again. Okay, I'm very. God, I hope it starts. I just got this computer like two months ago.
1: I'm very concerned about this computer. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't feel great, but but now we've got a ticking clock in our podcast, which is key yeah. to a successful pod. Right, right. So now now we've got the listeners hooked. They've got to find out what's going to happen with this semi truck of a computer that you're driving. Well, the progress bar filled all the way up, and now the screen is black.
0: Oh, oh my God, it keeps that's happening. terrifying. I hate that. That seems like really bad news. What is that noise? <laughs> it's like the bellowing. The of fact a... that it's start, it's starting up over and over again. It's almost never a good sign. It's like the bellowing of a
1: tugboat. It is wild. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh God! Did I get some kind of malware or something? What happened? It seems like it <sighs> seems like you have a. So let's let's stop. It's at 44 minutes. It's not been 44 minutes. So maybe 44 minutes is like the amount of time it's going to take.
1: Yeah, maybe it just has to restart nine times. Maybe that's (laughs) part of the process. It's like
0: a cat. (laughs) Okay, John, can you ask the one about um, why things don't (laughs) burn up when they're leaving our atmosphere, but they do when they're coming into our atmosphere? Yes.
1: This next question comes from Lane, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why do things burn up in the atmosphere when coming down, but not when going up, staying in my... (laughs) <laughs> comma lane. I'm also going to stay in my lane here Hank and and tell you the truth which is that I have no
0: idea. Well, when we're when we're shooting stuff through the atmosphere, we don't get it so hot that it will burn up very intentionally. Now there is also maybe some physics things here that when you're coming from a vacuum to an atmosphere, which, when you're going very fast, mm-hmm. is basically like a wall mm-hmm. that you have to blast through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 also is is a factor, but you can you can get things moving fast enough that they will heat up. Like a railgun in atmosphere, you can like watch videos of railguns shooting these like giant projectiles, and they are not made of anything flammable. They're just like a giant lunk of metal but they will create fireballs behind them because they are, cre- like, in the same way that um, that a piece of space junk or, like, asteroid will, if it's coming into our atmosphere. Gen- in general, we actually have to launch rockets more slowly than we would otherwise uh, because of the atmosphere. Because, like, if we didn't have an atmosphere, we could launch rockets faster, and we would. Yeah, because it, like, but, so but on the other because hand... Of the pressure that the atmosphere exerts on on the rocket.
1: On the other hand... Just to interrupt you real quick, if we didn't have an atmosphere, we wouldn't be shooting off any rockets because we wouldn't
0: be here. Right. Right. Well, but uh, like if we were shooting off rockets from the surface of Mars, it would be it's easier. It's even it's easier because there's less gravity. It's also easier because there's less atmosphere. But my favorite example of a thing that probably burned up in the atmosphere is uh, they were doing a nuclear test and the gas from the nuclear test got shunted incorrectly or the test went a little bit wrong. It's not what you want to have with a nuclear test. And there was a manhole cover that covered up, like it was an underground test. Should have should have explained that. Underground test. There was a manhole cover on top. The gas got shunted wrong. And it went and it hit the manhole cover. That manhole cover well beyond, we're not sure uh, how fast it went, but it definitely went well beyond the escape velocity of Earth. And as it uh, went through the atmosphere, it either burned up and became dust or is now in the solar system somewhere. But either way, it definitely created a big uh, fiery streak as it shot out of our atmosphere. Now, when you say we did this, do you mean America? I do, John. The United States of America.
1: Darn. I was (laughs) hoping that you meant like we humans. We humans were We're always doing wild wild underground nuclear tests. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, it's not we humans. No, it's not we humans. It's we Americans. Oh God! Shooting manholes into space with our Pacific Island nuclear tests.
0: This was actually on the on the uh, U.S. mainland. Um, I, oh, I am even better that my progress bar <laughs> is still opening up and it is not rebooted uh, again. But I do. I I, I I'm going to let you pick one, John. Okay, great.
1: Let's stick with space as a theme, Hank. This next question comes from Maggie, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, I saw a CNN story this morning about a space hotel officially opening in 2027. This is insanely cool. However, as a longtime listener, I am well aware of your conversations about when humans will be on Mars. I was just wondering if this changes your feelings. Also, would you go? Not a Maddie." Maggie. Now in our day, Hank, yeah. you had to define that you were not a Maggie, but a Maddie, but things have changed. Life changes. <laughs> life, life moves fast if you don't watch. Now you got to define yourself as not a Maggie when you're a Maddie. I can't even do it. You got to define yourself <laughs> as not a Maddie when you're a Maggie. Hank, yeah. number one, does this change anything about humans going to Mars? I don't think it does. Number two, would you go to the space hotel that's that's a hard
0: no for yeah, me. yeah. It's probably a no for me as well. Um. So so I like to sometimes I'm watching a TikTok and I and and I I think to myself if that person did that ten thousand times would they still be alive? Mm. And I'm like no probably not. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing to not do. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that, that if you did it ten thousand times and you'd be dead, don't do that thing. And I think, at least in the beginning, getting on a giant rocket and going up to a space hotel is a thing that. One out of every 10,000 times you do it, you you might not come back. And, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the odds will be better than that. But I, I don't know that they are. And so I'm going to stay there's right no, here. There's no way the odds
1: are going to be better than that. The I, odds are going to be way worse I, than that.
0: I love my town. I love my wife. I love my son. I want to be there for them for as long as I can be. I want to die on Earth, if at all possible. Well, look. If I'm 250 years old and I make it to Mars, okay, sure. I'll I'll die wherever. But I want to die of of old. I want to die
1: old. I want to die old as well, but I just want to be very clear about one thing. I do not want to die at the age of 250.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean only if it's a really enjoyable 250.
1: I mean I'm pretty sore <laughs> From working out <laughs> yesterday, and I'm 43. Yeah. So if I multiply this times five, nah. That's I don't know. It. Maybe. I don't know. I I haven't I haven't consulted with my 230 year old self to find out that's if right. if he's excited about the prospect of being 250. Yeah.
0: It's it's not worth ask. This is the thing. It's not worth asking yourself now because I know how I felt about <laughs> things when I was 20, and that guy was an idiot, and I'm gonna feel the same way about me now at some point. Oh, yeah. I hope so. I mean, in my case, it,
1: I, that 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 rollover is every three to five years where I look back and I'm like, ooh.
0: <laughs> John, do you want to update on the computer situation? Well, I have already I feel like I have an update
1: because I haven't heard the sound of the tugboat, <laughs> which in is like great. 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, uh, it is now it has gone from a progress bar to a little, very small, spinny wheel. Oh, so oh no, that's 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 uh, something that has occurred It's a difference. So I, I feel wanna, like a difference I is tell good. You,
1: I want to I tell you that it's good news. I want to. Uh, it's time. Uh, I have a login. Oh. I can type in my, my password. Wow. I thought a spinny wheel was doom for <laughs> sure, but that just goes to show you that there's my worldview oh, where every new development is a sign of catastrophe is not necessarily the best way to look at the world all the time.
0: It even opened up the questions. The questions are in wow. front of me. Wow. Wow! It remembered everything.
1: See, oh, hope really is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul uh, and sings the tune uh. without the words and never stops at all. Please don't sue me, Emily Dickinson's estate. I know that it's not in the public domain, <laughs> <laughs> which is ridiculous. Don't include that tuna. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, do include. That. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, take that, Emily Dickinson. Yeah, estate. How could somebody? <laughs> I don't. We don't. We
1: don't. We don't. We obviously don't need to get into it, Hank. But like. <laughs> Emily Dickinson has been dead for 150 years. <laughs> with all with all due respect to her descendants, of whom there are none. Oh wow! There is no need for her work to be protected. Wow. By copyright. Wow! She has been dead. Here's how long she's been dead, Hank. Uh huh. You know you know McDonald's. I do. I love it. <laughs> you know Wendy's. I I'm also a big
0: fan. You know Burger King. Uh, less a little less, honestly.
1: Yeah. Wendy's, McDonald's, and Burger King combined have not been around as long as Emily Dickinson has been dead. <laughs> <laughs> How? Well, it's not in the public domain. She's a very dead person. She nobody nobody needs her work to not be in the public domain, except for the nameless university that owns and controls her work and profits from it in a wow. tremendous way. Despite the fact that they are themselves a ridiculously elitist institution, it's Harvard and is the one he's talking
0: about. By the way, everyone. Well, no need to name names. <laughs>
1: but as for how. Her work is not in the public domain. It's because a lot of it wasn't published, at least wasn't published well, like wasn't published the way she wrote it with all of her cool dashes and everything until after 1925.
0: It's like when my my drug company is like, we're going to stop making that one and we're going to make a new one. Yeah. That's got 0.2 extra Yes. Milligrams.
1: You won't believe. But it's a
0: whole new drug. And now you can't make a generic out of it.
1: Nope. You sure can't. We're not in that the Prilosec business anymore. We're in the Nexium business until we can't be in the Nexium business. And then we're going to be in a new business. Yeah. Anyway, there is a purpose to intellectual property, but the purpose of intellectual property is not to enrich the world's richest university (laughs) via the work of a poet who has been dead for 150 (laughs) years. What is our next question?
0: Uh, John, let's let's stay deep. This question comes from Iris, and you did not highlight it. And so you may not want me to ask it. That's fine. But dear Hank and John, I've just read the news that the $1.9 trillion stimulus package is on its way to President Biden to be signed into law. Where is all of this money coming from? And if you can just create this money, why didn't you do that sooner? Do they have that kind of money sitting around, or do they just print more? If so, isn't that like maybe bad for the economy or inflation or other economic things that I don't understand? Not the flower or the thing in your eyes, Iris. That this is, ah, uh, to what extent, John? Am I correct in saying that we are living in the middle of a pretty big economic experiment?
1: Well, we are living in the middle of a really big economic experiment in the form of capitalism. Right. I yeah. guess we sort I of that's a very, been very the case. big. Yeah. And we've only been involved in it in this way for like a about
0: ninety years. Right. So, and in and in some in ways, sense, you can say yeah. that this capitalism is only like. Sixty or fifty years old, even
1: right. Different people argue different times for when when this kind of monetary policy right. became prominent. The previous way of doing monetary policy was very bad. Um, okay, and, can you, and, you tell me about it? Yeah, but I can't tell you about it without like infuriating some percentage of our audience. So, <laughs> so just so
0: I might not, might not do it.
1: But. The, the previous way was having the amount of money that a country could use right. backed by some kind of commodity, mm-hmm. usually gold. Mm-hmm. And that led to a level of inflexibility of monetary policy that this is going to make some people mad, but it's true, uh, contributed to slash made much worse the Great Depression. Right. So now we have a different way of having monetary policy. Where basically money, well, it's very important to understand that money is made up and that money is something that we believe in together. But we believe in lots of things together, like limited liability corporations and intellectual property and nation states and human rights and lots of other things. So the fact that it's made up is not in and of itself an issue as long as we all uh, believe in it. The, the United States has never defaulted on its debt, which means that lots of people believe that the United States will always pay back its debt because it always has. That has contributed to, or is one of the reasons why debt is very, very inexpensive for the United States. So like we can borrow and people ask like, well, where do we borrow the money from? The answer is a little complicated. We mostly borrow it from ourselves. Right. To some extent, we borrow it from our current selves. To some extent, we borrow it from our future selves. But anyway... Because people have a lot of faith that the U.S. will pay back its debt, it's very, very inexpensive for the U.S. to borrow money. Like right now, I think that it costs the federal government 2% uh, annual interest rate to borrow, say, a billion dollars. Well, the economy is going to grow by more than 2% a year. So some people would argue that that actually, like, that's free money or more than free other people would argue, hey, you can't have 10 uh, percent of the U.S.'s GDP in the form of an aid package without a strategy for paying for it. I don't know which of those people <laughs> yeah. is right. Yeah. I I actually think there are pretty solid arguments on both sides. What I, yeah. what I do know is that we were in a big mess. And I think the people who say we know the long term consequences of this, both the people who say it's going to be a big problem and the people who say it's going to be no problem. I think they're both, they have a level of certainty that I don't think is justified by the data. Yep. But some people will eventually prove to be right, and inevitably those people will be lifted up as uh, prophets who right. understood the yeah. secret meaning of the universe when I would argue that to some extent they got lucky.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, the the wild thing is also that, like, how we, what we think is going to happen really deeply impacts what happens. Yes. So if we think there's going to be a bunch of inflation, then there will be a bunch of inflation. There may be a, there may be some inflation anyway, but yes, it's yeah. very
1: true that what we, like when we, if we start believing that the United States might not pay back its debt, mm-hmm. that would be catastrophic. Right. Like it would be so catastrophic that I don't want to say it on a podcast that not that many people listen to. <laughs> like <laughs> it's that big of a fear for me we really can't default on our debt.
0: I sort of imagine be- this through the the lens of so so if if debt is very cheap then you can create it and you can create value with the money. Yeah. Then that's worthwhile. What I'm concerned about is that we don't end up creating value with the money because the money mostly goes to people who just put it in their stock savings or bank accounts or in like creating any like building something, doing something, spending yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so that other people will be building or manufacturing things and then it'll just sort of sit there. And, and at that point, then the entire economy is just kind of a bunch of people putting money in the stock market so that other people can eventually take it out and have more money than they used to, which doesn't really seem like an economy.
1: Yeah, this stimulus bill definitely has more actual stimulus in the sense of stimulating economic activity and consumer spending and stuff than, than the last stimulus bill did or what but I think it, what, how much yeah. is still to be determined. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a it is an interesting moment to be around in, and we will, we will see. John, this next question comes from Indy, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I was reading about land restoration practices to better capture carbon dioxide emissions, and I was wondering, is it actually likely that humans will reduce our carbon dioxide emissions enough to make a difference in time, or should we be relying on or investing in carbon sinks like forests and grasslands to pick up a lot of the slack? that we will not achieve ourselves. I guess I want to know if I should be paying more attention to land restoration work than fixating on carbon neutral plans. Not a rock, Indy. <laughs> um, gosh, we need to do both. We, there. there is not a tool in the in the climate change toolkit that we are not going to have to utilize.
1: Okay, but that said, it's really important that we're not going to plant trees our way out yeah. of climate change. Oh
0: yeah, we are not. So. And, and carbon capture and storage, whether it's like natural through through like like, methods that people will use to to do a good job of... Because one of the things you have to remember is there's always been trees and trees, you know, like they tie up the carbon dioxide, but not forever. Not many things do tie up the carbon dioxide forever or else there wouldn't have been any more in the atmosphere. So like mostly it's a cycle and the carbon dioxide comes back out eventually. Now there are things you can do to make it not come out and we will do those things. But it's going to basically require... It, it, we we will not do those things unless we create a system that rewards people for doing them, which we don't have yet, and and that that can actually like lift people out of poverty for doing them, or you know help help people create businesses that do them. And there will also be carbon capture and storage that is more industrial scale. Like how do you actually like turn carbon dioxide into something that might be useful, like drywall? But the main that's going to be like the last ten percent. The main thing we need to do is get is like make steel production. Close as, close as possible to carbon neutral as we can make power production as close to carbon neutral as we can make concrete as close to carbon neutral as we can, which is basically impossible. So that's why we need things that we're going to need some carbon capture and storage to hit neutral, because if you want to keep using concrete, it requires the release of carbon dioxide. It's not like moving it around is the problem, like the actual chemical reaction that produces concrete, which is right. a really wonderful material that I don't see us finding a way out of using really. Not in the next year like- two.
1: Ten years, yep. yeah,
0: not in the next hundred years. I don't know. There, there might be better materials that that will someday pop up, but it's you know, it's a it's hard. Yeah, we need a lot it's, of concrete. It's a it's a very difficult thing to shift uh, because we know how to build buildings away, mm-hmm. and figuring out a new way to build buildings is really dangerous, and you have to be really careful about it because people live inside them. So yeah,
1: and it's not just that; it's also that we're not only thinking about the richest countries in the world, like in middle-income countries yeah. and low-income countries, the need to produce concrete is really profound. Right. So it's important to emphasize that the first 90% is from reducing the carbon emissions associated with power production, steel production, that kind of thing.
0: Transportation and also agriculture. Is a big one.
1: The last 10% is figuring out carbon storage yeah, of some kind. solutions. This is another thing that our economic system is not great at. Our economic systems are not really good at understanding long-term value, especially like 100-year long-term value hmm. And I don't know how to make them good at it. I think there are a lot of a lot of people with a lot of good ideas, but I don't know how to I, I don't I don't really know how to solve that problem. I don't know how to solve that incentives problem, except with government regulation and international regulation.
0: It has to be regulation like I, I, there will there will be a technology component and a regulation component in Europe already. They have systems that are like you have to pay money to release carbon dioxide. Yeah. And so if you release less, you pay less. Yeah. And also if you're in an, in an industry where you're already producing it, if you can reduce it, then you can actually get money from your comp- competitors who will have to basically pay you mm-hmm. because you did it and they didn't. Right. So that this creates good economic systems. Like it, we almost had a carbon trading system in like 2009. We almost did. <sighs> and yeah. And Europe, Europe has one. I think it's easy to say that like Europe is doing everything better than, than the u s because like it's it's easy to rag on us. Like we do th- some things better. They do some things better. and but like, we need to look at the systems that are working and use them um because we right. you know when it comes to carbon dioxide, there's no reason to not release it into the atmosphere unless you create regulation to prevent it from happening. Like if you do not put a cost on that thing, we'll just keep doing it. Why
1: wouldn't we? Yeah, you either put a cost on it or you have like a tyrannical government that says no more carbon. And I prefer to put a high cost on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This has gotten a little heavy. And I want to emphasize that like, we're going to be okay.
0: I I think people feel like civilization is collapsing, Hank. I think I, I think some people do too. And I definitely don't. Uh, and that is I don't, worth saying. I don't. Yeah.
1: I, I, yeah. I don't think it's worth... I, I I might be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'm like, I'm often wrong. <laughs> but I really don't think that we are on the edge of a dramatic decline in the human population or like the level of complexity in human systems. I don't think any of that is, is in the near future. I do think we need to take active steps to prevent it, but I think we can, I I, I think we can take those steps. I believe in the, I I really do believe in our ability to do this.
0: Yeah. And I also, what I, what I really deeply believe, and we need to internalize this and get used to it um, is that every disaster is a Primarily a justice problem. Yes, and the climate disaster will absolutely be a justice problem. And and of course, like everyone will be negatively impacted by it. And just like this disaster that we are currently in the middle of, everyone is impacted by it. But th- it is clear that the way that those impacts are distributed is unjust.
1: Yeah, I think all the time about Partners in Health's mission statement of being a social justice organization that. Enacts that justice through offering a preferential healthcare option for the poor. Yeah, because the maternal mortality crisis in the world, the child mortality crisis in the world, these are these are, are are social justice problems at their core. They are not caused by anything other than human choice. Like there was a time when a huge percentage of children died before the age of five because we didn't know how to prevent that. But that was many decades ago. Mm-hmm. And so now it is primarily an issue of justice and equity. And the same is true for climate change. Same is true for COVID. Same is true for our economic systems. Like all of all of these things are, are expressions of either moving toward a
0: more just and equitable world or moving a- away from one. John, uh, Willow has a question that's gonna seem really, if this is your first episode of the podcast, uh unaccurate. Ill- okay. Willow asks, Dear Hank and John, my daughter Willow, oh, this <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're both named Willow. I'm not
1: I don't this know. This question is full of surprises already. <laughs> I love that we've we've taken a real hard turn uh uh-huh. and I don't know where we're going. Because I've definitely never been on this road before. Okay. But here we are. Willow has a daughter named Willow Uh who has a problem.
0: No, uh, no, not even. Oh, Uh, okay. Willow and Willow listen to us every night. Hello, Willow. When it's bedtime. Great. So I'm sorry if this has been a harsh one. Jeez. And she calls you to the silly brothers. Well, not not
1: so much for the last five (laughs) minutes, Willow.
0: Do you know how to make cake? She wants to ask. <laughs> Please also let us know what are your favorite cakes. Sincerely, Willow. <laughs> Willow I I mean the all all indicators point to both of them are named Willow. Willow, what is our what is this podcast?
1: What are we doing? It's the here, silly Willow? brothers. It's the silly cake brothers. The silly brothers just try to be the serious brothers and it's it's uncomfortable. I agree, yeah. Willow. Let's go back to, we're the silly brothers. John, what kind of
0: <laughs> do you know how to make a cake, John? Uh yeah, I do. Not to brag. I know how to make a cake in that there's a box at the store. No, no, no. I can make oh, a cake wow. from scratch. Oh wow, wow. I, I can
1: make a cake from the box and it's good. The thing is like box cake is pretty good, Willow, but I can also make a cake from from scratch if if called upon. Now, I can't make like a like a, you know, official wedding cake. I I, I would I wouldn't make it as a cake decorator. Let's put it that way, Willow. But I can sure. I can make a cake that's delicious. I can make a good, solid chocolate or vanilla cake. I can't make like a fancy. I can't make a carrot cake. You know, Yeah, I'm just not that good at chopping carrots to be honest with you, Willow, (laughs) but I can make, I can make a standard cake. Yes.
0: Okay. Can you make a cake, Hank? I can make a cake from a box and I've never needed to, nor been especially (laughs) interested in trying to figure out how to make it a different way. Why? Why? They have, they know what they're doing. It's the same ingredients. They're a little, they're a little bit better.
1: I mean, it's like a little bit better if you make it. I mean, if you're a really good cake maker and you make it is way better. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but if you're me and you make it, it's a little bit better. But I wouldn't I wouldn't win Great British bake off, Willow, let's put it that way. Like maybe last year for Sarah's birthday, Alice and I baked a cake and then I decorated it. Mm-hmm. And Sarah came home that afternoon and she saw the cake and she was like, Oh, it's so sweet that Alice decorated the cake. And I was like, No, no. <laughs> no. It was me. Yeah, I I wrote I wrote "Happy Birthday, Mom" in that shaky, jittery, yeah, cake handwriting.
0: Not even the oldest child. She thought.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. I had to Google how to write "Happy Birthday" in cursive. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Who knows how to do yeah. this anymore? I mean, I I was like, I was like looking at the Google image of of how to write happy birthday in cursive. And it was like, I was trying to like, I don't know, write in German or something. I I, I, I was like, okay. And then there's a curve there and that's a straight line. Whatever.
0: Okay. That works. Sure. Um, What's your favorite cake, John? Carrot cake by a country mile. What's yours? Oh my God. I can't believe you are such a cereal water eating monster. <laughs> I love carrot cake. It's not it's not like
1: having water in your cereal. People a lot of people like carrot cake. <laughs> By the way, Willow, if you haven't tried water in your lucky charms, oh, check it out. God. It's incredible.
0: Um, I'm I mean, a chocolate cake with chocolate icing or possibly mint icing or like not like mint icing, but like the stuff that's on the inside of a peppermint patty. Like that stuff, it's not—it's not like denser than icing is what I want. And okay. I wanted to have a lot of mint flavor, and I wanted to be really chocolatey, but also just like a hot chocolate cake, like when you go into the inside of it at the at chilies, and it's got a bunch of hot hot chocolate sauce in there. One of those. We don't have chilies in okay. this town, well, so I don't know if so that's that's real. I, I apologize.
1: I, I apologize for not being adequately sophisticated. <laughs> In my cake choice, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that you were gonna have such a high quality cake in mind as the Chili's molten chocolate lava cake. <laughs> They're really Comes, good. They are good. I'm not. I, I, I'm not saying anything bad about Chili's chocolate cakes. It, it's. It, they're incredibly good. I'm not saying that they're not good. But in fact, I'm reminded that today's podcast is brought to you by Chili's. Chili's it may or may not still exist.
0: <laughs> they I think at least in the at some point wanted their baby back.
1: Oh yeah, it was the, it was a huge restaurant when we were kids. It was very very around. fancy when we were growing yeah. up. Like our parents would take us to Chili's uh, on very oh, special God. occasions. And I don't I don't know if it's I I Hank, I haven't been outside in like like uh, On a car trip in nine months. I have no idea what's out there. What
0: what is it like out there? (sighs) Oh, my God. John, this podcast is also brought to you by the Progress Bar. The Progress Bar. It is going at its own pace. Thank you very much.
1: Podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Harvard University. Harvard University in desperate need of your donations, which are astonishingly tax deductible.
0: (sighs) Oh, my God. And this podcast is also brought to you by the Anthropocene Reviewed Book. The Anthropocene Reviewed Book, it has a cover now. You can go look at it. It's very pretty. And it's also got a lot of words inside of it that John's been working very hard on. And you can pre-order it wherever books are sold.
1: Yeah, including some words by Emily Dickinson that I had to pay a pretty penny for.
0: Wow, Harvard, geez. This episode of Dear hang John's brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free, fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house, and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online and then, like, just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Giovanni, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt... And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. (laughs) Go to thrivemarket.com slash DearHank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash DearHank, thrivemarket.com slash DearHank. John, um, when you, I have a question before we get to the news from Mars and ASU1, and this one is for me. Uh sure. when you order Arby's on DoorDash, mm-hmm. how do you get sauces?
1: So I disagree with your premise. <laughs> I believe that's what the Zen masters would call a question wrongly put. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um but then the answer is that I would I would go ahead and uh, and use my own barbecue sauce? Is the answer I would I have not to brag, better barbecue sauce in the home than Arby's can offer me.
0: <laughs> but the, but they had the horsey sauce, John.
1: Uh, the horsey sauce is good, but again, you can make your own horsey sauce. I want to make my own horsey
0: even- sauce. I'm very
1: busy. Speaking of struggles, Let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. I'll go first. Oh yeah, yay. Uh, AFC Wimbledon have sunk, sunk, sunk to the to last place, last place mm. in the League one table with a stirring goal difference of negative 24 for the season. There's 13 games remaining. So the weird thing is that even though we're in last place, I still kind of like our chances because there's there's two things going on right now. One is that we've got this new manager, Mark Robinson, who I love and everybody loves. And he's just a straight shooter. He's playing the kids. He's doing everything he can to figure out a way for us to stay up. And then the other thing is that we have two games in hand. So we've played two fewer games than all, almost all of the teams around us. Okay, so that's good. maybe... Maybe if we win and tie those two games, then maybe we wouldn't be so much in the relegation zone anymore. It's, well, it's incredibly not the, it's not crowded. Just, it's not just
0: that you're in the relegation zone. It's that you are We're last. in last. Yeah.
1: We're last. We're also the only team in like the bottom half of the table that hasn't won a game in our last five games. So it's not a great situation. Yeah. On the other hand, we are only one good run of results away from hope.
0: Right. I'm Niveldon have found a
1: way not to get relegated for yeah. so long mm-hmm. that I just I kind of believe we're gonna find a way. But I will confess that the way is not clear at the moment.
0: Is there um uh, is there advantages to being in the in the up? In the up, in the league that you're in, for as long as you've been in it. Oh, you mean like you more money advantages? or something? I don't know. No, not really. No, okay. I mean, maybe,
1: maybe modest financial advantages, but so like, no, it's just. To what extent would it just it be better relegated. for you to
0: be relegated so you could win more games and people would like go to the games more and be more excited? No,
1: I don't. I really don't want to get relegated because it's so hard to get back up. I just also AFC Wimbledon has never been relegated since the resurrection yeah. in two thousand two. I'm quite proud of that record. I I don't know. I think the thing is, I think if we could survive this year, we could have a really good season next year because we'll hopefully have fans in the stadium at last. Yeah. Which means our match day revenues will be much higher, mm-hmm. our budget will be higher. Yeah. There's there's real hope on the horizon, but we've got to find a way to survive this season.
0: Yeah. Well, John, in Mars news. Have you ever wondered what a a laser sounds like when it's being fired on the surface of Mars? I did until I heard it. Oh, well, okay. Well, I'll play it for you right now anyway. (laughs) I'm too much of a Mars fan. You can't break news to me anymore. (laughs) So that's what it sounds like, John. So there is a laser on the surface of Mars. The the nice thing about this laser, this nuclear powered laser, is that it can shoot uh, rocks and vaporize them uh, not the whole rock, but the, like some of the surface of the rock. From from twenty feet away, it can do this. So it's like, wow, I can't quite reach that rock, or I don't want to go over there. I'm busy. It can still zap a, zap a rock from twenty feet away, and that sends up some some uh, rock dust, and then the supercam can study it and figure out its chemical composition. And also by the noise that it makes when the laser hits it, you can find you can sort of uh, test a little bit. You can know a little bit about how hard the rock is which also tells you something about what it's made out of. So uh, the SuperCam also is this, like, the thing that has all of these tools on it. The SuperCam also uh, put some of its other equipment to work, including its Raman spectrometer, which tells us the different chemical bonds in a rock. And that is the first time Raman spectroscopy has been used on a place that is not Earth. Wow.
1: I like to think of it as, like, this SuperCam has a kind of sniffer. Yeah. And it just, like, kind of... All these tools together amount to a sort of like sniffing out of the Martian geosphere. Yeah, it's but it's a not job. a geosphere; yeah. it's a Marzosphere.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: the SuperCam! So cool. I'm happy. It's so cool. NASA, by the way, has done a great job of naming things lately. The SuperCam, the Octavia Butler landing site, uh-huh. Perseverance. That's a good one. I feel like they should the people who are doing the naming should get some big credit what a joy to think that perseverance is there on mars with its super cam yay great branding
0: john thank you for making a podcast with me we are now off to record our patreon only podcast this weekend stuff i'm sorry for the low quality uh of of my audio this week if you could tell that at all uh, but at least my computer is turning on now. A full hour and <laughs> ten minutes later. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna It's produced by Rosiana Halcerojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Taboki truck The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gonorola And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.